today on Ag News Daily. Getting creative like a lot of small businesses did. I mean, boy, I have delivered personally cheese to people's houses. I mean, just anything we could do to keep the sales going a little bit in a different way. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. It's another cold day here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. It's Ashton Carr joined by Delaney Howell. Delaney, I've got to say, I'm really tired of the snow. I sincerely don't know how you do it up there. Yeah, there's still quite a bit of snow on the ground here in central Iowa. We're starting to see some warmer temperatures. It's not, I think it's like, I don't know, a few degrees above zero now today. So that's good little bit warmer, but uh, we're still seeing some rolling blackouts. Ashton, are you guys still experiencing them down there in Lubbock? Not in Lubbock specifically. LPNL, who's our power company um, for most of the city, I would say, they came out on Twitter and said that they um, are, are stopping the blackouts for now, but if they need to start them up again, then they will you know, let customers know. But we haven't experienced anything um, like that, but a lot of what I'm seeing now from friends across really the state um, is just busted pipes. So I am really hoping that I don't experience that. Yeah, I would certainly hope not. But um, I, I thought it was pretty interesting. Uh, Laura Clock, who we will talk to here in a moment about, about Farm Life Creamery. She's up there in South Dakota, and she said that South Dakota is experiencing rolling blackouts to try and help with the power grid situation down here in Texas. So I thought that was incredibly interesting. I don't understand how it all works, but I, I just thought it was interesting that they're helping out up there. Yeah, I don't really understand for sure how that works either, but we're actually also seeing several meat packers told Drovers and Farm Journal that their operations were either temporarily shuttered or operating below capacity to ensure the safety of their team members and animal welfare, as well as they are also dealing with some rolling blackouts and restrictions there. But um, since we're talking about Tyson, Ashton, I want to follow up to a story you mentioned yesterday. I know you talked specifically about seeing, I don't remember what state, was it Michigan maybe, that was going to start offering incentives or vaccines for ag workers specifically. But Tyson has also announced additional incentives for frontline workers to receive COVID-19 vaccinations. They said they are already offering free vaccinations on site to employees, but now they've also decided to go ahead and compensate workers for up to four hours of regular pay if they are vaccinated outside of their normal work shift or through an external source. They say that they've got several hundred team members over the age of 65 that have already been vaccinated, and they expect about another 1,000 frontline workers in Illinois, Missouri, and Virginia to be vaccinated this week into the weekend to uh, quite a few. They've got about 120,000 U.S. team members, so they got to keep chugging along there, but they are really trying to push things forward. And I'm guessing a large part of that is because we, they don't want to see any sort of a shutdown like we experienced last spring where we'd have some sort of supply chain issues or shortage issues with uh, having a steady supply of protein. So they're definitely doing their part, it sounds like, to make sure we don't see that happen again. Delaney, I read that story as well. And I'm hoping that, you know, the issues here in the high plains with 
shutdowns or not shutdowns, but the the rolling blackouts, just hoping that, you know, that doesn't have any effect on the cattle or beef market. I'm kind of interested to see on how that all plays out since they are kind of operating on a lower capacity But another thing, you know, dealing again with the weather that I think is just an interesting story and I kind of just want to put out there, put some feelers out there. um, If there's any listeners who know anything about this or have any industry leads about this, if they want to reach out so we can kind of talk more in depth about it on the podcast. But a big thing or a big conversation, I should say, that's kind of going on in the state of Texas, at least with the power situation, a lot of folks are kind of putting the blame on the wind turbine industry, saying that a lot of our power situation or the power struggle is, you know, because of these frozen wind turbines. And there's some images floating around on the internet that have been kind of proven to be from um, other other countries at, at, from like 2014 of helicopters, you know, de-icing these wind turbines. And so it's kind of been... Not, I don't want to say an uproar or, you know, a big debate, but, you know, people are putting the blame on the wind turbine industry when, in fact, it's just a matter of, you know, power situations at, at plants and stuff like that. And I just I think it's very interesting and I'd be very interested into talking a little bit further about that, you know, from, you know, a wind farm representative or something like that, because we have a ton of wind farms, solar farms out here in West Texas, at least. Yeah, that's definitely an area of agriculture I don't know a ton about, to be honest, Ashton. So I'd be interested in learning a little bit more about that, too. Ashton, I want to switch tracks here and follow up on another story you reported on, I believe, last week. We saw President Joe Biden and Chinese President Xi Jinping have a phone call last Wednesday evening that we've started to get a little bit more traction or idea what they actually talked about on. According to the White House readout of the call, President Biden reportedly stressed that American interests in maintaining a free and open Indo-Pacific trade agreement was their top priority. He also apparently voiced some concerns over the situations going on right now in Hong Kong and Taiwan, as well as some of the other alleged human right abuses going on in Xinjiang. But Beijing's readout was a little less specific and said that they talked about some of the, quote, areas of disagreements between the two countries, as well as, quote, the various dialogue mechanisms. So following up on that call, we saw quite a few different public statements and tweets made, but Biden made one really that I think solidified their overall conversation. It doesn't sound like anything on the phase one trade agreement or with the U.S.-China trade relationship is going to change in the immediate future. However, President Biden and other members of his cabinet, including his Secretary of State, Tony Blinken, did emphasize that they want to engage with China from a position of strength. That's really the key buzzword, I guess, that's going around is the position of strength. So we don't know exactly what that means quite yet, but they will be continuing to have open dialogues, although it doesn't sound like uh, China has been quite as open in their dialogues. But that's kind of the administration's new stance on U.S.-Chinese relationships. So again, not, not a ton of news there. Kind of a lot of nothing is what it feels like or amounts to. But they are continuing to have at least open dialogues at this time. Well, Delaney, another piece of news coming from the Biden administration, 
the USDA has extended the moratorium on evictions and foreclosures through the Single Family Housing Loan Program. It's part of the Biden administration's move to give families more time during the pandemic to make payments on their loans. And the date has been extended to June 30th. USDA rural development says hundreds of thousands of people and families hold USDA single family housing loans. And a recent Census Bureau survey shows that more than 8 million homeowners are behind on mortgage payments. I do remember when the pandemic first started, a lot of folks were worried on how they would pay rent, which is, you know, not really the, the same thing as paying, you know, mortgage payments or anything like that. But I know it was a pretty big concern. And so this extension is, you know, just to, to give families more time to, to pay those loans. And I'm going to put the official press release from the USDA in our newsletter, which comes out on Friday. So folks, if you are one of these loan holders or if you just want more information on this new program, be sure to you know check out that newsletter. And if you're not signed up, you should probably do so. Absolutely. You can find it on globalagnetwork.com and sign up there. But Ashton, I have just one other quick piece of news here, but before we chat markets for today, and this is a market uh, market conversation definitely to have, but Turning our attention to South America, they've had some weather concerns, weather issues, maybe not below zero temps like we've had here in the United States, but they've definitely had some weather concerns. However, their harvest has been picking up pace. According to Ag Rural, they are now pegging Brazilian soybean harvest to be about 9% complete as of last Thursday. That's up 4% from the week prior, but still well below their five-year average. Usually they're sitting at about 20% harvested for this time of year. However, analysts are still expecting Brazil to have a probably pretty close to record crop, somewhere between 131 to 133 million metric tons. But in the meantime, while we're still seeing while we're still seeing them continue to chug along and harvest, it has given us the opportunity to continue with some pretty sizable exports to China and other trading partners. So we'll continue to watch that story as well. And I think it's going to be interesting to see what final production numbers do, in fact, come out of Brazil, because that will definitely have an impact uh, into today's current commodity prices. Well, Delaney, there wasn't too much happening in the news wires today, so I'm all out of news as well if you want to hop over to the markets. Fantastic, Ashton. Let's do it. And we had some mixed trade across grains today. Not super exciting movements after we've seen quite a bit of volatility here over the past week since the release of the WASDE report. But let's kick things off here first in the corn market. March corn today up three quarters of a cent to close at 5.33. The May up a penny to close at 5.50 and three quarters. In the soybean pits today, March contract losing a penny to close at 13.83 and three quarters. The May down a penny as well to close at 13.84 and three quarters. Wheat pulled back substantially after earlier gains this week. Week as the Chicago March contract shed 13 and a half cents to close at 644. The May down 13 and a half as well to close at 648. Livestock today weakness across the board as the April live cattle contract shed a dollar 65 to close at 124.15. The June down a dollar 07 to close at 120.62 and a half. And in feeder cattle, March today shedding 235 to close at 138.42. The April down a dollar 85 to close at 142.75. Now lean hogs had a little bit of a hold up today as they pulled back. 
The April contract shed a dollar twenty-seven to close at eighty-four ninety. The May down eighty-five cents to close at eighty-seven forty-two and a half. And rounding our markets with the Class Three dairy milk futures, March down fifteen today to close at sixteen fifty-five. The April down fifteen as well to close at seventeen eleven. Without further ado, Ashton, let's talk dairy with today's interview, Laura from Farm Life Creamery. Today, we are talking to Laura Clock, who is a owner slash partner with Farm Life Creamery. And I'm very excited to talk about, you know, the history of Farm Life and what you guys are doing. So, Laura, before we get into that, I just want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. Well, thank you. We appreciate being included. And again, before we get into the story of Farm Life, I want to ask, you know, how y'all are dealing with the cold up there because we were talking a little bit beforehand and yesterday on the podcast we have been talking about you know just the rolling blackouts and what's going on and Delaney who isn't with us right now she had never heard of a rolling blackout or experienced it but up where you're at Laura you guys are experiencing that yeah we had gotten kind of some area-wide emails from the power companies up here that they were going to be doing the rolling blackouts to help people actually in your area because the whole system's overloaded. So if you look at Texas on the map and kind of go straight north, I mean, South Dakota, North Dakota, we're all in that path. So it didn't actually happen to us, but we had received the email. So we, you know, just made sure the generators were ready, which is, you know, that's why our hearts go out to you guys. We're used to the cold weather. Thank happened. We had some water lines freeze last week over at the dairy farm and stuff, but for the most part, you know, um, we're a little more prepared maybe because this does happen at different times during the winter up here. So um, I really feel for you guys. You were telling me about some calves that died and stuff and naturally that can happen in the cold, but again, we're just a little more equipped for um, this time of year doing things a little different with the calves and stuff. And sometimes they end up in the office or in the house or in the basement. <laughs> so, well, Laura, it, I'm hoping that it's just a learning lesson for us down here in Texas to try and be a little bit more prepared if anything like this were to ever happen again. Truth be told, I really hope nothing like this ever happens again. I'm not too big on the cold weather, but I want to move along and kind of jump right into Farm Life Creamery and maybe share just a little bit of a background on how you were introduced into the creamery. Okay, well, um, it's kind of an interesting long story, so I'll give you the summary, but um, Chad and I met, so Chad Blaze is my partner here at the creamery, and his family are the ones that um, have been in the dairy farming, like his parents uh, both came from family farms. And then when they started their marriage, I guess we were looking last night, I think it was 48 years ago, they started their own dairy farm. So Chad completely grew up in it. Um, I grew up in Wisconsin. So probably half my graduating class and half my friends uh, were on dairy farms. There was just the sheer number of them in Wisconsin is what made that possible. So I was familiar with it, but I didn't grow up around it. Although I loved growing up, you know, in the country and that kind of thing. But Chad and I met and um, I found Chad had just quit his full time job and went back to the farm. He's the oldest son. So he was going to give it a go 
uh, helping his parents out. And right when that happened, the milk prices dropped like lower than they've been in their whole time farming. And, um, you know, he was able to give his parents, he, he had told him four to six months without getting paid. But, you know, after that goes on, it's like, okay, what are we going to do? And I found myself kind of stepping into their family discussions of do his parents quit? Um, but what I kept hearing, it's kind of his mom's dream, I think. What I kept hearing was making your own product. And so when I asked the questions, what does that mean? And uh, we started talking creamery and I'm a little bit of a serial entrepreneur. I've been a part of some other successful businesses. So just kind of started researching, started asking all the questions in South Dakota. And along the way, we found a little artisan cheese place for sale and met with them. And next thing you know, we're, uh, they're teaching us how to make cheese. <laughs> so it, again, that's the summary, but we, we actually live just three miles from his parents on a property that they own. And um, so we, when we decided this was what we were going to do, we started retrofitting the old dairy farm on our property. So like where the milk parlor used to be, we had to fill in the pit and that's our cheese cave. And so it was a little bit of a process, you know, um, deciding to retrofit and start a little smaller than just building a great big creamery out here in our rural area. Personally, I think I would love a cheese cave in my backyard. <laughs> I'm a big yeah. cheese eater. I know Delaney is, we've talked about it on the podcast before. We'll go and just eat like basically handfuls of shredded cheese out of the bag. But, you oh. know, I don't think that, you know, your normal sharp cheddar is really probably anything in comparison to the flavors that you guys are, you know, producing there at, at Farm Life. And we'll get into that in a second. But before we do, I kind of want to talk about the artisan aspect because you guys are, you know, small operators. And I think it could have gone either way for these small operators such as yourself during COVID-19 because some of them, you know, were kind of on the rise with production being down and some, you know, lost customers not being able to produce as much or do as much because of costs. So kind of what was that situation for Farm Life Creamery and how did y'all tackle the pandemic? Oh, wow. Well, you know, it affected us in um, some ways that, you probably wouldn't think about it. it was kind of a domino effect well first of all um, all of 2019 we were building here and we were driving to the 70 miles each way to that other location that we were purchasing all their equipment and inventory while we were building so we were kind of going back and forth and we were getting our name out there and getting some product out but our ramp up was to start um beginning of 2020 right so the the week in March, right before all the shutdowns happened, was the best week we'd ever had. And it just like, not, I mean, it, it felt like a crash because everyone reacted. No one knew what to do. People were buying essentials for groceries, which we're just above the essential line, right? We're in some local grocery stores and stuff, but we're not a, not quite a staple. And um, one of our big, 
uh, clients was the Avera campus, a hospital campus over in Sioux Falls. All of their uh, cafes and delis and, you know, everything closed to the public. So we weren't getting orders from there. So it was a little scary. <laughs> then a couple months go by and it kind of bounced back a little bit as far as, oh, okay, you know, um, we can buy groceries again. It, it kind of bounced back a little bit with some of the areas, but we were uh, we're still putting in a milk bottling system and we had to update some electrical and, you know, move our panel and stuff. So the next thing that happened is the electricians were waiting for one of those ULC certified boxes that you couldn't get anywhere apparently in the country. So that set us back a couple of months. Then the place that's helping us with the install, they're just big enough that if you were exposed to COVID, you had to quarantine. And so they were behind. And so honestly, the guys were just here yesterday and are supposed to be back tomorrow. But a whole part of our business plan for 2020 was to ramp up cheese and introduce bottled milk. So our, our whole business plan kind of got shot. And so we've just been hanging on, you know, running really tight. And, and so are Chad's parents, because we're just, you know, our goal is to use all of their milk. So they've been downsizing their herd as we're ramping up, but we've kind of been in this, oh, I just don't even know what to call it. It's a little bit scary for sure. And there were times where like, we picked the worst possible time ever to start a new business, you know, but um, so just running lean and holding on and um, getting creative, like a lot of small businesses did. I mean, boy, I have delivered personally cheese to people's houses. I mean, just anything we could do to keep the sales going a little bit in a different way. We had a great December with our gift boxes and shipping, but, you know, shipping was a challenge in December because everyone was buying online. So that was a whole new challenge for especially a perishable product that we faced. So it has been a roller coaster. How about I just end with that? <laughs> well, Laura, I think I might order myself some farm life creamery cheese, but I won't make you drive all the way down to deliver to me here in Texas. But okay. um, <laughs> that'd be quite a journey. <laughs> but um, I definitely appreciate those, you know, small business owners who have done that because we've talked to quite a few folks who kind of had to go through the same process, basically. But I kind of want to talk about your products because you certainly have some interesting cheese options on your website. So why don't you kind of walk us through, you know, how you come up with these flavors? Oh, awesome. Uh, we kind of call ourselves the Baskin Robbins of flavored cheese curds. <laughs> um, my background is in marketing and I saw a real hole in the just cheese curd market. And being from Wisconsin, that was something we took for granted. And so we... It, um, having cheese curds allowed us to enter the market really fast. And we just feel like, you know, because they're off the top of the batch, where, like you were saying, our aged cheddar, I mean, we have some that's eight years old here, some inventory that we got or eight years aged. Um, so cheese curds let us get our brand and everything out there right away. And um, honestly, the flavor, we're, Chad's kind of a foodie and his son works here and he's a foodie too. It's fun to watch them. And um it was kind of a personal challenge with that, if I can say it that way. Chad and I were like, um, at first it was like, ooh, what will taste good on there? Because we just, I mean, we can brag a little bit. I feel like our base cheese curd is pretty darn good. All of our cheese is made from our, you know, our own grade A milk. And you don't have to use grade A milk for cheese. So, um, 
you know, it's a full, full fat, super creamy. Um, we like it. But then, um, then we just kind of challenged ourselves to come up with some good flavors, flavors we weren't seeing out there. And it's continued to be a challenge. I just introduced two new ones yesterday online. So I think we have like 45 different flavors we've done now. Wow, that is quite something. And, you know, folks, just to give you a little preview, if you want to go on the website after listening to this episode, they have Bloody Mary flavored cheddar, (laughs) which is just amazing to me. Coffee flavored cheddar. I don't think that I have ever seen that, Laura. I don't know about that one personally. (laughs) I am. I actually saw it somewhere and wanted to try it. Some of them are happy accidents too. And not every cheese curd flavor translates over well to our block cheese because not everything ages and tastes as good. I don't know. So we have less block flavors, but definitely the ones that are out there are are pretty good. Our, our coffee was kind of an experiment and it's probably one of our top sellers. So I literally grind espresso beans and kind of have a little, I add a little cocoa powder. I mean, it's, it's pretty good if you, you know, whether you like coffee or not, honestly, it's got a neat flavor. I am a coffee person. And like I said, I'm a cheese person, but I I might, you know, just have to experiment, try this for myself to see what I really think about it. (laughs) I can send you a care package. The Bloody Mary one's kind of fun because it's a local collaboration. We had a friend who got laid off from his job during COVID and he, he's kind of a foodie guy too, and was mixing his own barbecue spices and stuff. And so um, I helped him with his website and some things like that, but he makes a Bloody Mary mix. So we tried it on our cheese and um, it translated so well that we actually have a um, Bloody Mary lovers gift box on our website. And we just worked with another local company and they sent them out in a package to all of their sales reps across the country. So it's kind of fun because it's local people helping each other out. So Absolutely. And especially in, you know, the times that we're in, I just think that the agriculture industry has come together to help each other out in tremendous ways. And I hope that it just only continues from here on out. But Laura, why don't you just walk us through the process a little bit since you guys are, you know, family operated on, Mm -hmm. you know, what the process looks like on, you know, going from the cow to the table, basically, with your cheese products. Well, Chad's parents, um, they're milking close to 100 Holstein cows right now. They are a grade aid facility and always has been and have been. And all, you know, all that means is they go through a little more stringent um, inspections and guidelines to maintain that. Um, They have Laley robots over there. So they um, milk with the robot system. We have a 600-gallon tank on a trailer that we go over it's three miles from us. So we go pump the milk out and bring it over here to our facility. We have a 300-gallon vat, so it's pretty small, and we pasteurize in the vat. So we do the low and slow, 145 degrees for 30 minutes to pasteurize. If we're making cheese, we take the lids off and we start making cheese right in the same vat. The milk bottling system is a little different where um, human hands can never touch it. So uh, the lids stay on and it gets pumped through a cooling system and then over to our holding tank for our, our little single head bottler. So it's it's pretty small and, and humble. 
Um, but directly, yeah, that and the farm has always, you know, grown their own alfalfa and corn to feed the cows. Um, so just uh, we recycle the whey that comes off from the cheese. We feed back in a in the ration for the milk cows. Um, the water from the cooling system goes to we have all the young stock over here. So it goes, you know, as drinking water for the animals on the farm. So we've built some of that into this system. We're also creating a farm experience here. So which has allowed me, this, this is one of my fun parts to kind of fill this farm with, um, I have a llama, a donkey, a mini pony, <laughs> a horse, some goats, a pig, chickens, ducks. Um, so, and we're working on a little mini golf course right now where we're, um, it actually was warm here before it got really cold. So we were able to dig into some spring projects, but in our area, we're actually 10 miles south of the nearest kind of city in a small town called Ethan, South Dakota. And there's not a whole lot to do around here. And we're close to um, the I-90 interstate, which is agritourism is pretty big in South Dakota. So we've really jumped on that bandwagon and participated and, and hope to be, you know, kind of a tourism spot where people can come and with their kids and have ice cream and cheese and milk and touch all sorts of different animals. And so we've just been uh, working to clean up this farm and uh, make everything safe and a parking area and all that good stuff. So that's the process, but definitely the milk comes directly. I mean, right right from the cow to our, to our vat to be pasteurized. Our bottled milk too, we're only pasteurizing. We're not gonna take anything out or add anything in. Um, so it'll be whole cream line milk that you have to shake up. So about as fresh as you can get, so. Well, Laura, that farm experience definitely sounds like one that I would want to be a part of. And I just wish you luck and you know the rest of the Farm Life Creamery team as you dive into these endeavors. But Laura, for our audience members who want to find out more information about, about Farm Life Creamery, where can they go online to find you guys? Well, we have a website, farmlifecreamery.com. We have a Facebook page. That's Farm Life Creamery. And um, I have Instagram. And I haven't I've been looking at TikTok, but I haven't made the leap yet. <laughs> so um, definitely online at any of those places. Well, awesome, Laura. Thank you again so much for coming and talking to us about Farm Life Creamery. Well, thank you. We appreciate the opportunity for sure. Thanks again there to Laura for coming on and talking to us, you know, just interesting to see how these small artisans, small businesses are really doing in the pandemic. And they kicked off, you know, had their most successful week right before the pandemic hit. So it's kind of been an uphill battle for them. But folks, if you want to go and check out some of their cheeses, I did. And I think that I'm going to get some because they just have some pretty wacky flavors that I'm kind of excited to try. Yeah, I've had their cheese before, and let me tell you, it is some good stuff. I especially like Ashton if you're going to order some or buy some. Uh, they're a bacon cheese curd. I don't know if it's like fried, not fried, but I don't know if it's um, like bacon juices kind of mixed in when they're making the curd or how they do it, but phenomenal cheese curds. I am very excited. 
And folks, if you want to go check out some of our past podcast episodes while you make your order, you can do so at agnewsdaily.com and be sure to follow along with us on social media. And if you have any ideas or suggestions of things that you want to hear, be sure to send us a note on Twitter, Facebook, or Instagram at agnewsdaily. With that, Delaney, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.